Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Strong in Suffering Sermon Series, which goes through the book of 1 Peter. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. So let's take our Bible, and let's go to uh, the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter tonight, 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number two, and we are continuing our study, strong in suffering, and uh, learning about having strength during difficult times, challenging times, and uh, no doubt this is a series that's appropriate for our current time and our current situation, and I, uh, I don't know, maybe Peter had a pandemic in his mind when he wrote the book of 1 Peter. Uh, I know he had a lot on it, on his mind, and so we're going to get back in our study tonight, but before we do, I want to ask you a quick question. Have you ever made a decision that at the time seemed like it was an insignificant decision. Um, But later, it would turn out to be a decision that you are thankful you made. Uh, maybe you, maybe it was the time, and I know there's plenty of stories of people that, uh, you know, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave work a few minutes early. And so you left work a few minutes early that day, and, and then you read later on that night that there was a major accident, the route that you would have taken at the time you would have normally left. Uh, maybe you have a decision that you look back and you think, well, that was a seemingly, it was a small decision, but it turned out to have a great impact. Uh, perhaps it was a decision to eat out somewhere, and you go out to eat, and then you ran into somebody that you hadn't seen in years, and it rekindled that friendship, and then you begin to grow it again. You know, I mean, there's a lot of seemingly insignificant decisions that we make that turn into significant decisions. Maybe it was a bad habit. You just said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop eating this, it's bad for me, I'm gonna stop going there and only to realize that that was the decision, that food or that habit was causing you to feel the way you were feeling, and so you brought about good health because of what seemed like a small decision. All of us have those. All of us have those times uh, when we think that we're just, just choosing, just making a decision that is insignificant, only later to find that the truth is this, decisions matter. Decisions matter. Even seemingly insignificant decisions they matter. As we come back into our study, we're going through this series of First Peter, Strong in Suffering. And uh, the fact that our decisions matter is something I believe that Peter is going to kind of bring to light tonight. And uh, before we really get to it, let's just kind of recap why we're going through the series. If you remember First Peter chapter number five, Peter wrote, hey, I'm writing this letter to you because I want you to know that God provides grace, great grace, for times of suffering. God provides grace and strengthening that you can stand in even when you're going through hard times. And aren't you thankful for God's strengthening grace? The fact that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you even during hard times. Uh, Although when we go through hard times, it's easy to feel like we're left alone, isn't it? And it's easy, if we're honest, it's easy whenever we're going through a struggle to kind of throw up our arms, our arms in frustration like, God, where are you? God, what's going on? And yet the Lord has promised, I have grace that's sufficient to meet your needs, even in times of struggle. And so Peter, he writes this letter to these early believers, trying to encourage them and help them and in turn help us know that no matter what struggle you go through, 
I'm writing this so that you can know God's grace is sufficient to help you during your times of struggle. Well, Peter, what he's done is he's written a few things to help them. Maybe um, the, the phrase would be have a paradigm shift, have a vision shift. And the first thing Peter wrote about, uh, we saw it a few weeks ago, was he wrote about salvation. Man, he wrote to them, hey, if you're going to go through struggles and find God's grace, you need to know what you have in salvation because what you got in salvation in receiving Christ was way more than what you saw. You see, most people, when they trust Christ as Savior, they think, well, it's a free ticket out of, out of hell. Uh, it's a free ticket into heaven. Well, it's just, it's just uh, you know, God forgiving me for my sin. And, and they kind of, uh, kind of downplay what salvation is. But Peter writes, and he says, hey, when you got saved, you received a lot more than what you thought. You did receive eternal life in heaven, but you received a, 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 an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away. And it's, it's held by the kept by the power of God. First Peter chapter one and verse number five. Hey, what you got in salvation is not just a home in heaven. You got something that's safe and secure and will last for all eternity. And then he says, you, it also brought you salvation brings you great joy. Joy that's unspeakable and full of glory so that you can go through hard times and still rejoice. Oh, and by the way, what you got in salvation, others only dreamed of. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12? He said, hey, the prophets, they wrote about salvation, but they never experienced it. Your reality was their dream. He wrote, not only the prophets dreamed about it, dreamt about it, but the, uh, the angels the angels, your reality is their desire. They desire, they, they desire to look into salvation, to know what it's like to have a God who dies for you. And what you got in salvation was way more than what you saw. It's way more. Those of you that know Christ as your Savior, uh, I bet you would agree that you think more and are more appreciative and look view uh, greater things about your salvation now than you did when you were first saved. Man, as that, as, that, as that vision of God begins to increase, man, God, thank you. I, you gave me so much. I could have just had eternal life in heaven, and that would have been enough. And yet you gave me grace for the day, and you gave me help and strength and joy and all of that stuff. So Peter writes, what you got in salvation was, was so much more. But then he changes the topic a little bit just to help us understand that when you got saved, God put new desires in your life. He changes some things. He changes your identity. He changes who you are. Now you're a child of the king. Now you can follow him as obedient children. Now you have God's very nature inside of you. So be ye holy as I am holy. Why? Because God said, hey, I'm putting my DNA, I'm putting myself inside of you, and I'm going to help you change and grow. That change, some of the changes that are made is new desires, the desire for God's word, desire to grow in his word. And so Peter wrote, hey, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you, if you are going to really understand God, you're going to want to grow closer to God. But I'm not only going to want to grow closer to God, I'm going to grow away from sin. I'm going to, I'm going to want to be right with God. That's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1, wherefore putting away. Wherefore, laying aside all malice to throw off like someone would throw off that garment. Hey, get the old self gone because you're new in Christ. 
So you have a new desire to be right with God, a new desire to grow in God. You have a new desire to come to God. He says, to whom coming? You and I, we have opportunity to go to God each and every day. Man, aren't you thankful that for the book of Hebrews and the passage that says that we have a high priest, we have someone to go to on our behalf to go to God? Man, we don't have to have a go-between anymore. Uh, Paul wrote in uh, 1 Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Man, I can go to him. So we not only have this new desire to be right with him, to grow in him, to come to him, but also God puts in us that new desire to point to him. We looked at that even this morning, David's desire to say, God, I want to give you the glory. And Peter even wrote about that. Hey, once you know Christ as Savior, you're going to want your life just to point to him. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hey, you who were not a people, he made you of people, you who did not know mercy, God gave you mercy. And so now you have that desire. What's the desire? I just want people to know him. I want people to point to him. Well, as you continue reading through these thoughts, and really, if you were to kind of go and read 1 Peter 1 and 2, you would find Peter focusing in on uh, really all of those thoughts would tie into your identity in Christ. Hey, what you have in salvation is, is great. What you become with salvation is amazing. And the reason Peter does that is because when you and I know who we are in Christ, it affects how we approach every day. If you're confident with knowing that I have the Lord and he has all of me, man, it is going to change. It affects how we move forward for the Lord. And, and Peter knew that one of the greatest motivators to stay faithful for the Lord and to continue on for the Lord during hard times is to remember how God feels about me. And so he focuses in on our identity and what Christ has changed in us. And then what we're going to see tonight is, is Peter begins giving some instruction or some teaching. For how the knowledge of our identity in Christ should change our approach to life. How it should change our, our uh, motives and how those motives would affect our behavior. It's, it's almost like he's saying, hey, you are loved by God and that changes you, but here's how you should respond. Since you know you're loved by God, since you know you're changed, here's some decisions to be made. So tonight, we're going to look at it this way, that our decisions matter. And since I am new in Christ, since I have a new identity in Christ, my decisions for Christ, they matter too. And Paul or Peter is going to give us a number of decisions tonight that we make and should make. But then what I love is he doesn't just give us the, here's the decision to make. He says, here's the why. Here's a way that it'll affect you. Because your decisions matter. Once you notice, if you would, tonight, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 11. The verses uh, will not be on the screen because we're going to have them on there piece by piece later. But 1 Peter chapter 2, let's read verse 11 all the way down through the end of the chapter. Peter says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, 
whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and uh, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps." Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Man, I don't know about you, but I love the, the wording. I love, I love the passage. I think you can't really read that. with. If you read this on a casual reading, it would kind of be like, huh? Like, what's he saying? But I think when you really stop and begin to process and look, Man, the depth of what we find tonight in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 25, I think it's going to be a huge help to us in understanding, again, that simple truth that our decisions matter. Our decisions matter. And so, Peter, again, here's some decisions that you should make. Here's why they matter. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you... Uh, would you pray and just give God permission to speak to you? God, I give you permission to speak to me tonight. And then make the commitment that as God speaks to you, that you're listening, you're responding to him. Dear Lord, I thank you for the day. And Lord, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the services. And uh, thank you, God, that we can come back tonight and hear your word. Thank you for those that are with us uh, in person and others that are online. I pray, God, that you would use your word tonight, that you would capture our attention, that you'd help us to hear from you, that you'd use it to, uh, to challenge us. And Lord, tonight, tonight as we go through it, I pray, Father, that you would just um, help us see, uh, to see your word as clear and understandable. And Father, we would see it as something that we can apply to this week. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
As we come to the study tonight, again, I want us to enter into it with the thought that our decisions matter. And as we go through the message, we're going to find Peter challenging us with the decision and then why it matters. I want you to see, first of all, the challenge uh, Peter gives us to make the decision to what I'm going to say, stop. Peter gives this decision to stop. Notice, if you will, verse number 11, where Peter says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain from fleshly lusts. I want you to notice as Peter transitions to these challenges about our decision, before we look at the word abstain, which means to stop, I want you to look with me just at the incredible changes that God made even in Peter. Say, Pastor, what changes? I noticed this from a friend of mine that brought this out. I never would have thought about it. Notice the two words, dearly beloved, dearly beloved, and then I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, that phrase. Now, let's recall who is writing this, Peter. All right, before the cross, before Jesus went to the cross, do you think that Peter would write, dearly beloved? Probably not. If you go and you look at the history of who Peter was, uh, most people know Peter as the apostle that was competitive, right? You go and you find the stories before the cross, and what's Peter doing? Man, Peter, he's getting jealous at James and John and their leadership. Peter's getting jealous at John growing close to the Lord. Peter's the one to say, hey, Lord, I'm coming right up next to you, and whenever you find Jesus, you find Peter uh, just kind of anchoring himself, uh, edging himself up to be that guy that's right next to him, and some would say, well, that was for, you know, he was trying to learn, but if you look, how many times in Scripture was, Pete, was Jesus teaching And Peter would say something like, not so, Lord. He'd say, no, you're wrong with that. Man, before the cross, Peter, he's the one that we would not envision to say dearly beloved. He was pretty competitive. He was quick to stand up for himself. Peter was quick to talk down to other people. And yet, we find him saying dearly beloved. Well, what made the change? I love the passage. We've preached it a ton of times. John chapter 21. Remember in John chapter 21, Jesus is there. He's risen from the dead. It's 40 days after. And Jesus is there on the, on the seashore. And he has a, a fish cooking. And the guys come back from fishing. And they know it's him. And Peter comes up and doesn't really say a word. And Jesus says, Peter, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And feed my sheep. Peter, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest all things. You, you know that I love you. Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, yes, you know all things. You know that I love you. What was Jesus doing in John chapter number 21? Jesus was saying, hey, Peter, hey, Peter, I want you to love me more than anything. Peter, I want your love for me to be that which drives you. You know what? When you look at Peter's life and you look at the book of Acts and all that God did through Peter, the changing moment was John 21. And so now we have the new Peter writing, dearly beloved, dearly beloved, those, hey, I'm writing to you because you are special to me. I think Peter could write about change because he was experiencing it. And he says this, dearly beloved, I beseech you. I, uh, to beseech means to call near. I, I want to call you. I beg you to come into this decision. I want to call you close to this decision, urge you to make this decision. And then he says, I urge you as strangers and pilgrims. 
He'll use those terms a lot as, we, as he goes through. You can go through the book of 1 Peter and you'll find him saying strangers and pilgrims a lot. Why? Because he wants them to know, hey, this world is not your home. It's like the old song says, the world is not your home. You're just passing through. Stranger, you're someone who's not familiar. A pilgrim, you're just traveling. Hey, you need to recall that your home is in heaven. So Peter will remind them time and time again, as strangers and pilgrims, I'm trying to re- remind you who you are and where your home is. Now, here's the decision I want to call you to. Abstain from fleshly lust. Abstain from fleshly lust. Notice the next phrase, which war against your soul. It's like Peter is saying this, hey, you are in this world, but not of this world, so don't get caught up in the world. Hey, you are new in Christ. You belong to Christ, so don't sin against Christ. Abstain. Stop allowing sin to be active in your life. Fleshly lust, this is uh, really fleshly lust come in all shapes and sizes. Fleshly lust is just the desires of sin that is in me. It's the fleshly lust uh, uh, to watch something that I should not watch, to set my eyes upon something. The fleshly lust to listen to something that I should not listen to. The fleshly lust to allow that spirit of bitterness to take root in my life or discontentment or jealousy or envy. Fleshly lust is just sin in and of itself. And so Peter is writing, hey, listen, you don't belong here. This world is not your home. You're a pilgrim. You're only here for a short time. So don't get caught up in the sin of this world. And here's one of the reasons why. Because that sin, it wars against your soul. Sin, fleshly lust, it wars against your soul. Here's the thought. When you and I, when we give in to temptation, when we lose a a, a fleshly battle, we are at war against our own soul. Think about how giving in to temptation, when you give in to a sin, Think about how that affects your mind and your heart. I don't know too many believers, too many people who know Christ as their Savior that after they sin go, man, I feel so much better. I don't know many like that. I do know a lot of Christians and a lot of believers like me who after we sin go, man, oh. And really until we confess it, until we just renew that fellowship with the Lord, our heart is heavy. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to, believers, and maybe they'll come in for counseling, and, and they're just heavy. Life is weighing down on them. And, and their mood is always anger or frustration. They're always just irritated and, and dealing. People are always getting on their nerves And lo and behold, we'll sit for a few minutes and break down some barriers, and pretty soon they're going, yeah, I've allowed this sin in my life. What does sin do? It wars against your soul. It affects affects the very person that you are. So Peter writes, and he says, hey, hey, you're a pilgrim. You're a stranger. I love you, and I want to tell you truth. Abstain from fleshly lusts which wars against your soul, having your conversation, having your life honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's the challenge that Peter gives. Hey, stop giving in to fleshly lusts. 
Here's the reason that decision matters. It's verse number 12, because people are watching and you can have an effect on people. And so if you go through life, you need to know that there are going to be people that speak against you as evildoers. Don't we know that that's true? I mean, right now that uh, you go out and you look, I mean, culture speaks against Christianity as evildoers, right? The Bible says that in the last time and in the last days, we know that they'll call evil good and good evil. And we're seeing all of that take place now, aren't we? even in our culture, even in the unrest taking place in society. That's what Peter's writing about. Hey, they're going to speak against you. Don't give them ammo. Because if you have an honest conversation, they're going to watch your life, and they're going to glorify God in the day of, tri- day of visitation. Someone say, well, what does that mean, the day of visitation? The day of visitation is when everyone stands before the Lord. You say, Pastor, well, what does this mean? Listen, your testimony, the way, the way you live your life could affect somebody else trusting Christ as Savior. And so someday they'll stand before God and they're going to glorify God because of your testimony. God, thank you for bringing that coworker across my life. God, thank you for bringing that neighbor into my life. God, thank you for bringing that family member. I watched how they lived and it changed my life. Hey, decisions matter. What's the decision? Stop. Abstain from fleshly lust. Why? Because your decision, your testimony matters. One man said it this way, the weight of your testimony gets heavier the longer you live. And it's talking about heaviness in other people's lives. The weight of your testimony, the, the length, the, the, the uh, distance that your testimony reaches goes further the longer You live that honest lifestyle, that that life that says, hey, I just want to walk with the Lord. I love Peter's decision, his, his decision to challenge us. Hey, listen, listen, you don't need to give in to sin because saying no to your flesh could cause someone else to say yes to God. You saying no, stopping that fleshly lust, it could cause someone else to come to the Lord. Decision number one, stop abstain from sin. Why? Because your testimony matters. You could bring someone else to Christ. Decision number two, submit. Submit. Ladies, we're not talking about wives to husbands, okay? I know that was kind of the thought, submit. Every time a pastor brings it up, no, I'm just teasing. Man, you know what? When we come to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13, I'm going to tell you, these are some weighty verses, especially with our current situation. These are weighty verses, but notice what Peter says. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme or unto governors or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Uh, Peter is covering all levels of authority. All right, king, that's federal. Governors would be state those that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well, that's local. Okay, that's what Peter is writing. He says, For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. All right, let's look at the the wording here, submit. It's two words, sub and mit. The word sub, uh, under, to place under, um, uh, submarine, something like that, subterrain. The word mit means to send. 
or to place. So here's what Peter is saying. Send yourself, place yourself underneath your authorities. Hey, humble yourself and place yourself underneath your authorities. This is the idea of choosing to submit to our authority. Now, Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 13 through 15, for a lot of people, are very, very challenging. And here's why. Because in Romans 13, Paul addresses the same thing that Peter does in 1 Peter 2. What's the, what is he addressing? He's addressing submission to authority, to, your, to the governmental authorities. Someone would say, well, they didn't know what government would, decisions would be in the future. Can I remind you who they were under when they wrote this? They were under a man, maybe you've heard of him, his name is Nero. One of the most vicious, maniacal, crazy, uh, idiotic, like one of the most probably demon-possessed, like I don't know, but Nero was just, if you've ever read any history about Nero, the, the man was just off his rocker. And yet, they're writing, submit to the government. That's interesting. That's interesting. It's interesting that both Peter and Paul would write this, and yet they both wrote it. But can I tell you tonight that this thought is to submit, it does not mean that you agree. And submission, listen to this, submission is not the same as obedience. Submission is not the same as obedience. Obedience says, no matter what you tell me, I'm going to do it because you're my highest authority. Submission says, I am going to submit myself to the human ordinances or to the punishment of not obeying said ordinances. Submission and obedience, they're not the same. Now, for us, we usually, in our country, we usually don't have much problem submitting to our authorities. And for the most part, we really don't have reason to. I'm thankful for the United States of America that our highest authority, the highest authority in the United States is what? The Constitution. The United States Constitution. That's the highest authority in we, you know, some we would say president, Congress, whatever, and, and there's rules that can be made by Supreme Court, all that type of stuff. But our highest authority is the Constitution. I'm thankful for that. How many of you have a copy of the Constitution? All right, if you don't, you need to get one, okay? You need to get a copy of the Constitution so you can know the rights that we have. You can know your authority. And so, you know, if you look at this, uh, our highest authority is the Constitution, especially at a time like right now. This is one of the reasons that we as a church chose to open up services before we were legally given permission to open up services. Why? Because of the Constitution. It's the First Amendment. What's it say? It says that you have the right to gather peaceably and to worship in that gathering. I'm paraphrasing, but you go read it, First Amendment. And that's the highest authority. So you know what? We're submitting to the highest authority and obeying the highest authority. But there are times in history, and there may be times in our future, when submission 
and authority have to separate. I want you to think about this. Plenty of places in Scripture where submission and obedience separated. Uh, Peter and James and John, and, and then even just James and John, and then just Peter and James, or Peter and John, at times were called before what was uh, called the Sanhedrin Council, the religious law of that day. And they were called before them, and they said, You're, you are to no more preach in the name of Jesus. Remember that? Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter uh, 5, Acts chapter 10, you know, Acts 13. Tons of places where, hey, no longer can you preach in the name of Jesus. And you remember what Peter and them said? In respect, they were submitting to the authority. They said, hey, listen, we respect your position, but we ought to obey God rather than man. There was submission but there was also obedience to the higher authority. So to the Sanhedrin, they uh, were called and, and they were given that. They did not obey the Sanhedrin, but they submitted. You can go to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't trying to create an uprising. They weren't trying to do that. Hey, bow, when you hear the, the sound of these instruments, bow before the statue. And they said, no. They were not rude to the king. When they got called before Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll give you another chance. They said, king, we're, we're not light to answer you in this. We've already thought it through. God will deliver us, but if he doesn't deliver us, we still won't bow. And they submitted and went in the fiery furnace. <laughs> they didn't obey, but they still submitted. You see, so submission and obedience are not the same. I want you to notice what Peter says in verse number 16 when he says this, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. Peter is saying, hey, listen, you need to make a, a free will choice, a choice of your own volition. Choose to just submit. Don't do it because you think you're going to get struck down by God. Don't do it because you're afraid. You're free. So choose to do it as a free person. Not using that cloak, uh, um, not using your freedom as, as a covering of malice, you know. And so you're, I'll do this. Uh, my wife and I saw something today, you know. I'm doing this on the outside, but rebelling on the inside, you know. And it was just a little joke. But uh, there's a lot of people that have that even attitude. I'll submit on the outside, but I'm not submitting on the inside, you know. And again, there's a difference between submission and obedience. And so Peter, he's writing saying, hey, I'm going to give you a choice. The choice is submit. Well, Peter, why is that important? Why is making the choice of submitting important? Verse 15 again, or 13 again, he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance. Why? For this is for the Lord's sake. Hey, do it for the Lord's sake. Hey, the name of Jesus is reflected in your life. And so submit because Jesus' name is at stake. Submit for the Lord's sake, but then also he says, for so, verse 15, for so is the will of God that ye uh, with well-doing may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Here's the other reason. If you submit that well-doing, that's going to be a testimony and it's going to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is the ignorance of foolish men? The ignorance of foolish men would be all the slanders against Christianity. It would be all the attacks against Christianity. At this time, Christians, it was Nero, wasn't it? 72 AD, that blamed the Christians for burning down Rome, even though it was his own military. 
That was the ignorance of foolish men attacking and blaming and Peter saying, hey, there ought to be enough evidence, right? That's the saying. If there was enough evidence, or would there be enough evidence to convict you as a Christian if you were pulled into a court of law? Peter is saying there should be enough evidence to say, no, 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 they've, they've always submitted. They may not have agreed, but they've always submitted. Peter said, you need to do it for the Lord's sake. You need to do it for testimony's sake. People, they're, they're watching. And your testimony matters. Decision matters. So stop. Abstain from fleshly lust. Decisions matter. So submit. Choose to submit to your authorities. Notice number three. Number three, Peter says to serve. To serve. The last part of verse number 16 Peter says, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. As the servants of God, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, uh, uh, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Peter now gives the decision of, hey, make a decision to go through life accomplishing every area of life just like you're serving God. And Peter covers a lot in the next verse. A friend of mine preached a whole message on verse 17, and it was amazing, and I couldn't do it. But four things that he says. Number one, you can serve God by honoring all men. Well, what does it mean to honor all men? Well, the word honor, it means to place value upon. You, you and I, we should place value upon all mankind. Place value upon all life. Now, if we're not careful, we can treat people without value, can't we? And we're all guilty of it. We can treat people without value. We can view people through the lens of, if you value me, I'll value you. We can view people through the lens of, if you treat me right, I'll treat you right. We view them through the lens of benefit. If you'll benefit me, then I'll benefit you. Then I'll try to be a blessing to you. We can go through life and not treat people with value. And throughout history, there are those who treat whole groups of people without value. This is where racism comes from. In our country right now, there's a lot of unrest about racism. This is where anti-Semitism comes from, the hatred of the Jewish people. It's, it comes in a bias that says, I will not honor all men. Can I say this is where uh, uh, um, sexism comes from? Gender, people who say, well, no, the men are better than women or women are better than men. And we're going to fight about it. I'm not talking about the kids on the playground, you know, boys rule, girls drool, or girls rule, boys are still ruling. I don't know, you know. <laughs> Uh, I'm not talking about that type of stuff, but people who really say, no, 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 women are, you know, men are far superior and men, women are, and, or women are far superior and have all of that stuff. Where does all, what's all of that born out of? That's born out of a spirit that doesn't honor all men. So what is honoring all men? Man, this is just treating people with value. An old preacher, his name is Don Sisk. He was a missionary for years and uh, he's a man, he's probably 95, 96 years old now. Brother Sisk said something in a message a long time ago, I don't remember, years ago that we heard. And it said, treat every person as if they were mo- the most important person that you would meet that day. And I thought, man, that's so good. Treat every person as if they were the most, per- most important person that you would meet that day. 
That means that uh, uh, grocery uh, uh, checkout counter, when they're not getting it right, man, I'm going to treat them. I'm going to treat them well. That means that waitress or waiter, now that you can go back to restaurants, uh, that waitress or waiter that messes up your order, I'm going to treat them with value. That means that neighbor that just drives me nuts, I'm going to treat them with value. What is this? This is honoring all men. This is God's plan. God's plan is that we would place value on every life. Can I say that's why I am against abortion? We should value every life. You say, pastor, that's a political issue. I don't have a problem speaking about political issues. We should value life. I'm against it. Why? Because God said value life. Man is created in the image of God. Value it. Value life, honor all men, love the brotherhood. Peter already wrote about this. We won't spend much time on it. But he brings attention to the relationship of other believers. Hey, you should love the brotherhood. Hey, uh, once you're saved, you can serve God by just loving other people. You can serve him by just loving other believers. Uh, Once again, this uh, um, this is one way that the world knows that biblical Christianity is different is because they see how believers interact with each other. We should make the choice to love other believers and to treat them as God would want us to. Paul actually wrote this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10. He says, as we have therefore opportunity, hey, when you get a chance, let us do good unto all men. Hey, do good to everybody, especially, especially unto them who are of the household of faith especially to other believers. Man, just treating other believers right. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple if you have love one to another. Man, by this is the world gonna know that you belong to me. Honor all men, love the brotherhood. Third, fear God. We can, we can serve God by going through life with a fear of God. What is that? What does it mean to fear God? This fear God, it means to just stand in awe of him. It means to go through every decision in life with a continual awareness and awe of who God is and of his presence. When someone is living with the fear of God, this is that desire to follow his word, to listen to his spirit, and and we become more concerned with what God says than what man says. And when we're living uh, with this daily awareness of the presence of God, it'll affect my decisions, my thoughts, my actions. It affects everything. Think about what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. My wife was just talking through Ecclesiastes with the kids the other day, and we covered what Solomon said at the end of his life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 13, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Hey, you want to sum life up in two phrases? Fear God, stand in awe of him and in love with him, and obey him. Man, that's what it boils down to. And this is Peter writing and saying, hey, I want to encourage you. You can serve. How? Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. He brings that up again. Honoring the king. Reverencing that authority. Respecting that authority. Well, why, Peter? Look at verse 19. For this is thankworthy. (laughs) If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Hey, it's thankworthy. What does that mean? I looked that word up, uh, the word thankworthy. It just means it's acceptable to God. God is very pleased when you go through life as a servant. So 
what's our decisions tonight that we're being challenged with? Well, you know what Peter, uh, Peter writes? He says, I want to encourage you to make the decision to stop. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Submit. Place yourself underneath the authorities. Serve. Notice fourthly tonight, he says to suffer patiently. We're going we're to breeze through these la- this last one. Suffer patiently. I love verse number 20. Notice what he says. For what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. When you think about it, Peter, he's simply saying, hey, if you face suffering because of your own faults, what glory is in that? (laughs) But if you face suffering because of not doing something and you continue, that is really acceptable. The truth is we've all made decisions that bring about unwanted consequences and yet we still move forward. We all make decisions and when somebody does that, when someone makes a decision of their own doing, my mom used to say, well, they brought that upon themselves. They're going to have to live with it. So mom, well, they, they brought that upon themselves. They're going to have to live with it. And if someone endures through something that they brought upon themselves, what praise is there? That's what, that's what Peter says. What, when you be buffeted for your faults, I mean, what glory is in that if it's your fault? But if you suffer and it's not your fault and you do it patiently, he says, this is acceptable with God. The idea of suffering patiently is as you do right and submit and serve and decide to suffer and continue on no matter what happens, it's acceptable to the Lord. It's acceptable to him. It pleases God. When you and I live for the Lord in spite of our circumstances and in spite of our challenges, when we just continue on, God says, this is pleasing for me. Four decisions, Peter says, matter. Stop, stop allowing sin in your life. Submit, submit to the authority. Hey, I want to encourage you, serve. Be a servant. Why? It matters. And then he says, I want you to suffer patiently. But the last thing I want us to notice tonight is this simple thought. Peter doesn't just say, here's a bunch of decisions. He also says, I want you to see. See what, Peter? I want you to see the example. Look at verse number 21. For even hereunto were we called, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Here's the thought. Hey, um, Peter says, uh, you need to make a decision. Make a decision to do these things, but don't do it because I'm telling you to. No, hereunto, this is the place that we were called and we were given an example. See the example that Jesus set before us. What was his example? I read it this morning in my time with the Lord. Mark chapter 15, verses three through five. Notice what it says. And the chief priests, they accused him, Jesus, of many things, but he answered nothing. Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Peter marveled. Here you have Christ facing false accusations, He is being reviled, and yet he reviles not again. He is suffering, and yet verse number 22, or verse number 23, says that even when he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed it. He just gave it to the Lord. What an example. I don't have time to to make the point come out, but I'll just show you very quickly. 
Peter shows us that Jesus was an example in all of the areas he just laid out. The area of abstain, of not sinning. Verse 22, who did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth. Hey, Jesus lived abstaining from fleshly lusts. He submitted, he allowed himself to be crucified. He served, verse number 24, he bare our sin, he served us by putting our sins upon himself. And then he suffered patiently. He did it all without retaliation. So Peter, no wonder he says, hey, I wanna call you to make these decisions. Why? Because decisions matter, but I'm not just gonna call you to the decision. I'm gonna show you the example. Our decisions matter and Christ knew that. So what did he do? He left us an example that we should follow. That's verse 21, that ye should follow his steps. Here's the truth tonight. Your decisions matter. My decisions, they matter. There are no insignificant decisions for the follower of God. So what decision should I be called to this week? Hey, stop. Stop allowing sin to be so active in your life. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Submit. Hey, submit yourself to the authorities. Submission is not obedience, but submission says I respect and I honor. Hey, serve. Choose to become a servant. Honoring all men, loving the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, and then suffer patiently. Can I tell you this morning or tonight that one of the greatest repercussions of our decisions is the fact, and in every one of these, he brings it out, people are watching. An unbeliever is watching you this week. People are watching how you go through this life, the good days and the bad. So make decisions based upon what you know the Lord would have you make. Because when you and I live this life, with an understanding that our decisions have a profound effect upon people, it'll cause us to say, God, I need you in my decisions. God, I I can't do this on my own. Your decisions matter. And so tonight I wanna encourage you, would you ask the Lord to help you this week to make decisions based upon his truths? God, I know that your decisions that you call me to, they matter. And so God, I'm gonna ask you tonight, help me this week to understand there's no insignificant decisions. Help me to stop, abstain from sin, to submit, to serve. And God, when I go through challenging times, help me to do it patiently. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. And as we come to just a time of of prayer and introspection tonight, looking inside, I wanna ask you tonight, have you been looking and saying, well, my decisions don't matter. Ah, that sin doesn't matter. Ah, this... This uh, disrespect towards authority, it doesn't matter. I don't have to serve. Maybe even looking at your decisions and saying, ah, they don't matter. And tonight, maybe the Lord would arrest your attention to say, God, I know my decisions matter. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.